Good, 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 good match show. Welcome everybody to the Good Match Show, a show about matches, both good and bad, but mostly good. As we venture through all 131 matches rated five stars or more by Uncle Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Here we break down, analyze, and discuss all the happenings in the matches, as well as the weekly ongoings in the modern wrestling world, which, as you know, is quite strange right now. So, without further ado, let's get weird. As always, I'm your, I'm your guy on yellow. Isai could not be here this week, but we'll get him back next week for the main event, baby. Next week we're doing, um, we got Lioness Asuka versus, who is it? Chigusa Nagayo from All Japan Women's Wrestling. So I'm super excited for that. That should be a great one. And um, we already did a Ric Flair and Butcher and Bobby. We already did a Ric Flair and Barry Windham show together, I'm pretty sure already. So I don't mind flying this one solo. Um, I do miss him though. Isai, if you're listening, I love you, brother. Um, Jumping into the international scene this week, there were a few shows. Japan is slowly getting back into the mix after what was largely a month off. So first we had Big Japan Wrestling's Crisis Survivor from May 26th. Um, this was interesting. It was done in what looked like a where, like a storage unit or a warehouse, like a very tiny warehouse or something like that. So. It was uh, very intimate, to say the least, and I just had to share what the main event was for all of you non-deathmatch heads out there, since I feel like, for those who don't watch deathmatch, this will be pretty fun to hear. So it was a human flesh slicer barricade and fluorescent light tube alpha deathmatch between Messiah Takahashi and Drew Parker versus Toshiyuki Sakuda and Yuki Ishikawa. So, pretty interesting match stipulation name there um on professional professional wrestling noah we had the new hope day one from may 24th uh it was just a series of some singles matches most notably shuhei the former maybach taniguchi aka shuhei taniguchi versus yoshiki inamura and then in the main event it was somewhat of the ace kaito kiyomiya versus renee dupree who is really just a mainstay in noah now and i can't believe that in 2020 Rene Dupree is quickly becoming one of the bigger names in professional wrestling, Noah. I think most notably from this show, what we got was um, Kiyomiya challenging Okada, I believe, to a match, to an interpromotional match. I remember that Okada was the one originally sort of advocating for a large interpromotional show or celebration you know a celebration of professional wrestling especially especially with the olympics coming to japan or were coming to japan this year so maybe they're laying the seeds now and it will happen next summer but i do think that all companies could benefit from a interpromotional angle um especially with all of the eyes on the uh, all the world's eyes on them during the olympics uh, next up, we had 2AW, a.k.a. Action Advanced Pro Wrestling, the former Kai and Tai Dojo, K-Dojo. Um, some pretty fun matches on the show. So we had Shiori Asahi versus Ayato Yoshida. And then we had, in another tag team title defense, the legendary Chongo and Kaiji Tomato versus Dinosaur Takuma and Kyu Megami. And then in the main event, must-watch match, Yuji Okabayashi defending the 2AW Openweight title against the literal tank, Tank Nagai, just two big meme bastards beating the hell out of each other. And then we also had 
DDT doing a their fourth television show. Um, some exciting news coming from DDT is that Yoshihiko, for those of you who don't know, is a blow-up doll and also a frequent member, active member of the DDT roster, is out of quarantine. So Yoshihiko is back. They are doing great. Um, looks like they didn't get sick or anything like that, so I'm very happy for them. And they fought uh, Ace Konosuke Takashida. So check that one out. And then we also had Daisuke Sasaki versus Chris Brooks versus Naomi Yoshimura in a three-way dance for the DDT Universal title, as well as Masato Tanaka versus Shinya Aoki for the KOD Openweight Championship. So out of all of these, I would say if you had to go out of your way to watch something, Check out the two. I would say check out the three DDT matches as well as the two title defenses from Two AW, and um, hopefully we start getting more wrestling. I believe the rumblings were that Phase Two ends or begins. I think June nineteenth. I probably shouldn't be talking on this because I'm not a hundred percent certain. But as always, you can listen to the Wrestling Observer or the Post Wrestling, and they are pretty on top of all that stuff. I believe it was that. Crowds could slowly start coming back around July 9th, if I'm not mistaken, or something like that. 50% audiences, who knows? Or maybe that's just when they can start running more shows. I, I can't remember. But I know that New Japan will hopefully be around coming July, which means that the G1 Climax, so long as things don't completely fall apart again, should be happening and should be on. It will be very interesting to see how New Japan picks up just because of how much we've missed being the New Japan Cup, Sakura Genesis, um, God, Dominion, the best of the Super Juniors. Just There will be a lot of shows that we've missed, and it will be God, nearly five, six months of off time for New Japan. So these title holders are certainly getting reigns, and you know we all clamored for a Tetsuya Naito. Uh, championship reign he got the two belts and then the world ends so i guess that's what we get so for being fucking naito fans god damn it um anyway i'm very excited for wrestling to be coming back so long as it is safe so long as everyone is happy comfortable not being forced to work we're in it together baby um i'm just gonna kind of blow through the wwe shows on smackdown we had braun Strowman defeating the miz and so now Braun Strowman has defeated both The Miz and John Morrison separately. So, of course, the WWE world recommends or thinks, well, this would be the perfect time to give them both a title shot together after losing one-on-one. -on -one. And given Braun Strowman's track history and handicap matches, who the fuck knows, but I know Braun Strowman isn't going to get isn't going to lose to The Miz and John Morrison. Although, I think that would be really fun to have a free birded championship like that so especially with john morrison i would love john morrison to be a top talent but looks like we're not getting that we then had aj styles defeating shinsuke nakamura in the uh wwe intercontinental title tournament first round match 13 minutes 15 seconds uh good match so it's always exciting when these two meet in the ring just because of their history and every single time it's just a little bit sad because i know that we will never get that big match again but at least we did get that big match once, so that's good. And then we had Bailey defeating Charlotte Flair at 14 minutes and 55 seconds. Um, it's weird what they're doing with Charlotte. She's a babyface on one show, a heel on the other, and a tweener. 
It's just there's absolutely zero consistency. So aka WWE and I don't know, I'm very burnt out on Charlotte at this point. At first I was like, you know, I'm all for a dominant run from her, but the run has not been good so far. And yeah, it's been what, a month and a half, but she hasn't defended the title really yet. She did against Io Shirai, which ended in a DQ, so who really cares? And she's on all three shows every week. It's just too much, you know? There's uh it's like she's feuding with Liv on Raw, she's feuding with two other people on NXT, and then she has this weird feud with Bailey now on SmackDown. It's like, do we really need that much Charlotte Flair when there are so many other women on the roster that could easily you know, put Sonya against Bailey, something, anything, but don't force this down our throats, you know? We then had a mixed tag team match, Dolph Ziggler and Sonya Deville defeating Mandy Rose and Otis. Uh, cool. And then in the main event, we had Jeff Hardy defeating Sheamus in another WWE Intercontinental title tournament first round match in 14 minutes and five seconds. So in the semifinals this coming Friday, we will be getting Jeff Hardy versus Daniel Bryan, which is actually... Sounds like a pretty damn good match that it could be. And um, in the dream match of AJ Styles versus Elias. So this will probably be the best match of Elias's career. I'd be hard-pressed for it to imagine it not being that. Um, then we had Monday Night Raw. This wasn't a horrible show. Um, I think that it started off fairly strong, and then it sort of just dipped down from there. So the show started off with a Apollo Crews defeating Andrade in 8 minutes and 20 seconds to win his first ever WWE title, the WWE United States Championship. Awesome. This was a good match. I am super in on Apollo. I've been waiting for him to get this character. I was a massive fan of him on the indies when he was wrestling under the name of Uha Nation. Um, man, I miss those chants of Uha. Ooh, ha, that was awesome. I think I actually got to see him wrestle once with Tommaso Ciampa, Brian Cage, Chris Hero, all those guys in Phoenix, Arizona before they all went on their own new pass. So I'm always rooting for the guy. I'm very happy to see him get some shine. Here's to hoping that he actually gets a good reign. I think that every single time someone wins one of these tertiary titles, one of these intercontinental or this US I always think okay this is going to be the rain that turns the title around this guy's new he's fresh and every single fucking time it's just a nothing rain think about Shinsuke holding the IC title belt for nearly 200 days and getting a brand new design only to then lose it to Strowman and it's just like what and then for Sami Zayn to win it back and Shinsuke not giving a shit anyway we had Angel Garza defeating Kevin Owens in three and a half minutes which was Pretty wild, I guess. So, big plans for Garza. We had Austin Theory and Murphy defeating Aleister Black and Humberto Carrillo in four minutes. We had Nia Jax becoming the number one contender for the Women's Raw Women's Championship in 15 minutes. They did a lot in this match, and then it just kind of ended. Um, I think that hopefully Natalia gets a little bit more of an edge, but then again, at this point, it's like, how do you resuscitate a character like that? And sure... No one is past the point of rehabilitation, but I see this being a hard one. And, um, God, I don't know. I wish that... I don't even know. I I just have hopes for the women's division, and they are always squandered, <laughs> I guess. And then in the main event, we had the Street Profits defeating Bobby Lashley and MVP by DQ. 
So that's your classic raw main event ending in a disqualification and then Edge and Randy Orton doing more monologues and promos and talking about how it's going to be the best wrestling match ever. And if that's the case, I look forward to their 70-minute two out of three falls match at Backlash. Could you imagine if we actually got that? Anyway, um, it's going to be a that's going to be a stressful week for next, you know, too, because first we're getting Karrion Cross versus Tommaso Ciampa, and that's just going to be vicious on Ciampa's neck. And then we're going to get Randy Orton versus freaking Edge. So please, gentlemen, keep your necks in check. Protect your neck, please. Um, now I wanted to go through Double or Nothing. I thought this was a fantastic show, relatively top to bottom. As mostly everyone has said, it completely succeeded in providing a diversion from everything that's going on in the world. Um, the show started off with the Casino Ladder Match. Brian Cage defeating Colt Cabana, Darby Allen, Frankie Kazarian, Kip Sabian, Joey Janela, Luchasaurus, Orange Cassidy, and Scorpio Sky in 27 minutes and 28 seconds. I was not as big on this match as everyone else was. I thought that there was some great high spots, but nothing really else. It was a lot of awkward, let's get to my spot, let's get to that spot, and just the pacing kind of felt off. Cage then comes in, murders everyone, they bury him. That was cool, but I would say probably like you know three and a quarter or so. So not a bad match by any means, but I guess I wasn't as into it as everyone else. Um, we then had MJF defeating Jungle Boy in what was my favorite match of the night in 17 minutes and 27 seconds. I would pop this baby a four and a half star easily, easily. Um, this was just beautiful wrestling all around, you know, from the technical work to the striking. And you don't really expect these two younger sort of, I don't want to say scrawnier by any means, but smaller guys to be so stiff in their strikes and so impactful. The nasty, nasty reverse Huracan Rana off the apron, the Liger Bomb from the top rope, the final pinning combination. Everything about this match was just phenomenal. And I am so excited to continue watching these two fight for the foreseeable future. This just already feels like it will be one of those rivalries that we talk about for time, for a good amount of time. And um, yeah, I would actually say this is the match that sold me on MJF. Up until this point, even with his GCW work, even with his MLW work, I had never really watched an MJF match that made me say, wow, that guy's a great wrestler. Of course he's a great promo, of course he has great character work, but there was never anything that really impressed me in terms of his in-ring ability. This match proved me wrong on that, and uh, God, I am all in on MJF and Jungle Boy. We then had Cody defeating Lance Archer in 21 minutes and 11 seconds in a match that went way too long for the AEW TNT title tournament final match. Um, see, I'm already yawning just thinking about this fucking match. Cody has really proven that he is only able to work one type of match, and it has absolutely worn out its fucking welcome already. You know, I'm just, I'm so over this. We had ref distraction. We had managers getting kicked out. We had Mike Tyson getting involved. We had the weight belt. We had Cody pulling antics, Archer pulling. It's just like, God damn it. Just fucking wrestle. And I completely understand that AEW is the buffet of wrestling, right? We're going to get an insane, dangerous, high spot ladder match. 
than a beautifully wrestled throwback match with two young stars with a combined experience of nine years. Then we're going to get a, uh, a story match, I guess, from Cody. So as a stadium stampede, a brutal, brutal, uh, both title matches were relatively brutal from the women's and the men's world title. Um, but yeah, this just, I can't stand Cody. And I know I always say it, but this fucking geek is just going to drive into Daly's place and hit some wimpy guardrail. Shouts out Kev. He's the one that said wimpy guardrail. My favorite thing popped me hard. I was crying, laughing up on Planet Stasiak, which is right next door to Planet Statlander, baby. It's uh, weed jokes, I suppose. If you don't know what Planet Stasiak is, you got to Google that shit right now, all right? Just Even if you do know what it is, Google it right now. Pop a cold one and just settle up and party in that some bitch, all right? Um, I'm trying to make this fun doing this alone, and I'm just in my room alone doing Stone Cold Steve Austin accents. Help! Help! Um, we then had Chris Statlander defeating Penelope Ford in eight minutes. This was a fine match. Nothing too eye-popping, nothing bad. It was just a fine match. I like Penelope Ford. I like Chris Statlander. I wish that there was more women in the division than them. Uh, the women's division in AEW is in just excruciatingly understaffed and underbooked and I don't think there's ever been a real feud outside of the small one with Nyla and Shanna. I don't think you can really call the Nyla Riho feud a feud because they would just kind of meet together and have a match and then there'd be nothing in between. So, you know, what can you really do? Anyway, um Yeah, I don't know. I wish the women's mat women's division was booked a hell of a lot stronger. I think NXT's division too could even use a uh uh, secondary title or just a second title in the women's division too so something like the North American Championship I think they could really benefit from it um, we then had Dustin Rhodes defeating Sean Spears in 4 minutes in what was largely a comedy throwaway match um, I like TDT, I like comedy wrestling I love Orange Cassidy I like the Invisible Man stuff, I like the social distancing match, this I did not like, the totally Blanchard on the underwear gimmick is just stupid um, it's like, I understand again, AEW is a buffet and I guess this and the Cody Rhodes match would be the fucking mystery meat that no one touches because it looks like shit and it probably is shit, right? So that's what we'll call it. TNT title match, both Rhodes brothers matches, mystery meat out of a possible five stars. We then had Hikaru Shida defeating Nyla Rose in 16 minutes and 34 seconds. I just rewatched this match today along with the Jungle Boy and MGF and the Stadium Stampede. This was a good match. Nyla's best match in the... Or no, you know what? I would still say that the Nyla and Riho match was probably better, but this was incredibly close. Hikaru Shida, I'm incredibly happy that she is finally the women's champion. Nyla Rose... She really put on a damn good showing here. I was convinced that she was going to win it after she put Sheeta through the table with the Beast Bomb. And I was so bummed. And then when Sheeta kicked out, I was like, oh, my God. And it felt exactly how it did towards the end of that Riho match. So Nyla, she is uh, she's pretty damn good at those home, home stretches. So I got to give her that credit. And... Um, I don't think it's fair also to really draw a comparison between Nyla Rose and Nia Jax. One occasionally 
botches something and the other just straight up can't fucking wrestle. So, you know. Anyway, then we had John Moxley defeating Mr. Brody Lee by ref's decision in 15 minutes and 29 seconds. I like the finish. Protects Brody Lee. Makes him not a, not a chump, not a geek because he didn't tap. He didn't submit. He didn't get pinned. That motherfucker passed out. As Brian Alvarez said, he died for the cause. So that was pretty sweet. Um, this was a good match. Um, it did not exceed my expectations. I would say that it came in a little bit underneath them. It would seem that every AEW world title match is like a three and a half star brawl. Right? And I wish that... And I understand this is very much John Moxley's form of wrestling. This is his style. But why is he able to have a five-star match with Minoru Suzuki in New Japan? But when it comes to this AEW title match, it's just not there. And I, I don't know. It's weird. I also thought it was kind of strange to give this match... I mean, this is the world title match we're talking about. Casino ladder match longer. MJF versus Jungle match. Jungle Boy, two minutes longer. Cody, six minutes longer. Hikaru Shida, a minute and a half longer. I mean, this was closer in time to Chris Statlander and Penelope Ford than it was to the goddamn Cody Rhodes match. I think that's a little bit weird to me, and I felt like these guys, having gotten a little bit more time, could have done something really special. Starting talking about special brings us to the Stadium Stampede match where the Elite defeated the Inner Circle in 33 minutes and 59 seconds. This was just so much fun. I think that what we can objectively say about this is that one, it was well shot. Two, it was done by a production crew that was aware of filming out filmmaking elements like spatial awareness, framing, just generally how to make something fucking good. Because so let's talk about this, right? Matt Matt Jackson is Northern Lights suplexing Sammy across the entire field. So we cut away and then eventually after a couple minutes we cut back. Now he's at the 50 yard line. We cut away come back a couple minutes later now he's in the end zone that was fantastic and it shows that they are actually aware the way that they structured this match is that they give you some chess pieces on a board and you constantly know where all the chess pieces are what they're doing where they're going next and i thought just the staging of this everything top to bottom flawless the humor perfect the wrestling great the spots hilarious fantastic awe striking this was a perfect Example of how to make a cinema match in today's pandemic era of wrestling. And, you know, the Matt Hardy spots of him underneath the pool throwing up the V1 signs, that made me fucking die laughing. I could not believe it. Like, it was just so hilarious. Ringing the bell with or with Ortiz, putting Santana into the icebox, the bar fight with Hangman, Jericho putting on the cone on his head and getting super kicked into the goal. Uh, Matt Jackson moonsaulting off a fucking goalpost. So many things that I could go on and on and on about in this match that were just fantastic. But I'm sure you've heard it a million times. So I'll keep it the fact that this fucking blew that boneyard bullshit out of the fucking water. It blew the goddamn Chompa match out of the water with Gargano. And it fucking blew all that other shit that they've been trying to do out of the fucking water. I mean, this was exactly... This is the, this should be the new standard for any sort of cinematch going forward, right? And this, like compare this to the Money in the Bank. 
because they're largely similar, right? You have a blend of comedy spots, character spots, breathtaking spots, wrestling spots. But the difference is that the spots in this didn't make anyone look like a fucking geek except for the geeks, right? And then it was just well shot, well edited. Asuka, like, compare Sammy Guevara getting suplexed across the entire field to taking Asuka 10 minutes to take the elevator to the second floor. Those two things don't line up, yeah? And um, so I hope that WWE follows suit. It appears that they have been, given that they now added fans, quote-unquote, to their tapings or to their live presentations, which takes us in NXT. And God damn it, I really don't like these fans. And I put that in quotes because it's all the NXT people, right? And we see Shotzi Blackheart, what looked like a fucking out-of-character Dexter Loomis, but I don't think it was. Just like we see Bugenhagen, a few others, and they're all chanting exactly like robots would for a face and for a heel. And yes, the noise is welcomed regardless. But somehow WWE managed to fucking WWE fans. And I feel like this is a wet dream for Vince because obviously... They control what this audience is reacting. They probably have notes, react to this, react to that. And this is Vince's wet dream. I get to control how the audience finally reacts. So I fucking really hate it. But again, some noise is better than no noise. So I digress. The show opened up with the Drake Maverick, Kushida, and Jake Atlas triple threat. thought this was a great match. I thought this was easily... Jake Atlas's best showing in NXT so far. I think that the longer a match goes, the more it benefits Jake Atlas. So when he's in those three-minute sprints, it's not as much beneficial as it is, as it is to him to be in something like this with a commercial break. Um, the ending was really interesting. Kushida has Atlas in an armbar. Drake walks over to pin Atlas while he's in the armbar. Atlas taps as Drake's getting the pin and then the win. Kushida later approaches Drake, and Drake admits that he tapped and that if he, Kushida wanted to have one last match to see if he could go to the finals he'd do it and Kushida just kind of blew it off and said no you go to the finals and I thought well I thought that was strange because why wouldn't you why wouldn't you want a chance at the title so I thought that was weird I really hope that this ends Kushida's run in 205 live with the cruiserweights because this guy is too fucking good to be there. And that's no disrespect to the other Cruiserweights because from Gallagher to Nice to Scott to Phantasma to to everyone, to even Breeze, you know, all those guys, they're damn good and they always bust their ass at what they do. But, 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 I just, Kushida needs to do more, that's all. Um, I if If I was doing it in my head, you know, I would let Johnny Gargano win the title off of Keith Lee this uh, upcoming in your house. Then you have Keith Lee maybe go after Cole or go up to the main roster. And then, because I think Karrion Cross versus Timothy Thatcher is a fucking money matcher. And either of those guys can take the title off of Cole and I'd be very happy. And then you have Kushida chase the title on Gargano because that would be a hell of a series of fucking matches. Kushida versus Gargano, are you kidding me? That's a trilogy we need right there. So, we then had Johnny Gargano with Candice LeRae defeating Adrian Alanis in the first ever Johnny Gargano Invitational. This was fun. I really enjoyed Johnny Gargano's new character. 
I'm having a lot of fun with it. Candice Lurie's The Wicked Stepsister is a lot of fun, too. So great stuff all around. Raquel Gonzalez with Dakota Kai defeats Shotzi, Shotzi Blackheart. Um, Shotzi Blackheart killed herself during this match. She did a coffin drop from the top rope to the outside, overshot it, and um, just fucking folded on her head. I mean, I thought she was done for for sure. And it just, it looked bad. It probably felt worse. And I'm happy Shotsu was able to get up and finish the match. But damn, she looked uh, busted after that. Charlotte Flair and Chelsea Green then defeated Io Shirai and Rhea Ripley. Uh, Charlotte Flair got the pin on Io after putting her feet up on the rope. Again, as I already said before, I have no interest in this Charlotte Flair narrative that they're pushing right now. It's just... The fucking worst, really. Um, in a Zoom meeting then, NXT champion Adam Cole and general manager William Regal have formal negotiations. Cole was, of course, a heel that kept insulting Regal. Cole wanted Regal to agree that Velveteen Dream never gets another title shot against Cole after he beats him at TakeOver. Regal agreed to the stipulation, so Dream's challenge at TakeOver is now his last shot at winning the title from Cole. The NXT Championship match and Stip are official for TakeOver in your house. A um, couple things. One, if Dream takes the title off Cole, I'm goddamn rioting. Two, it's weird for the general manager to decide that this is Dream's last shot at the title. Um, so I thought that was kind of funny and weird that he's like, it's like your boss being like, yeah, if he doesn't do this, I'll fucking fire him. And you're like, wait, what? No, I, I don't want to do it. Like, it's fine. I'll, I'll wait. I'll just wait. Um, so I thought that was weird. We then had a vignette profiling Oni Lorcan and Danny Birch. This is a great character development. And the segment concluded with them meeting in a bar to drink water. So these are some straight shooters here, baby. And also, too, I think that the last Cole and Dream match was probably the worst defense of Cole's championship reign. And that's really saying something because even the, the absolute non-factor ones like Cole versus Tozawa from Evolve, right? Even that was still a great match. Even, you know, Cole versus Pete Dunne from Survivor Series was a fucking terrific match. Did you expect Pete Dunne or Kira Tozawa to win? No. But still, those were better matches than the one where Dream actually had a shot at winning the damn title. So, main event time, Timothy Thatcher versus Matt Riddle in a fight pit match. Isai actually said, this should become Matt Riddle's casket match. I totally fucking agree. This was just awesome from top to bottom. Kurt Angle is the referee, not getting too much shine, but just enough. Um, excuse me. The match was brutal. They repeated the spot from the last UFC fight where, uh, God damn, was it Anthony Pettis hands the referee his teeth, and that was fucking insane. Um, we got some Showtime kicks. This was just awesome all around. Stiff, stiff striking. Badass brawling, really great technical work, an insane um, bro salt from the or the the corkscrew corkscrew moves, whatever the fuck it is that Matt Riddle does. That was just awesome. The match ends with a uh, um, with Thatcher submitting or not submitting. He makes uh, Riddle pass out, so that was good. Now on to AEW Dynamite. We had the Young Bucks and Matt Hardy defeating Private Party and Joey Janela in a fine opener. Then had Brian Cage defeating Leo Johnson 
and uh, it was made official. I guess I was flipping between the two shows. So if they did announce Fighter Fest as a date, I missed it. I thought that they were going to be announcing it this week. Let me check actually real quick on the uh, results. Real quick. God, yeah, the fucking... The banner for tonight's Dynamite is, of course, Cody twice. Eesh. Fighter Fest. Nope. It looks like best friends are getting their tag team title shot, and Brian Cage will get his world title shot at Fighter Fest, but we have no announcement for Fighter Fest yet. We then had Rebel bringing out Britt Baker to the stage in a wheelchair. Tony Schiavone introduced her. Baker said that the rule number three of being a role model is that you don't hurt the role model. She said that the tandem attack on her last week was part of a conspiracy since perhaps the start of All Elite Wrestling. Baker said that Chris Statlander being an alien is a crock of shit and she's a conspirator. She said Hikaru Shida is a fake champion who carries a weapon and is also a conspirator. She said Nala Rose typically comes off the top rope with precision and grace, but she hurt her last week and called her a conspirator as well. Baker then named Aubrey Edwards as a conspirator. She said Edwards has been there for all of her injuries, and that's not a coincidence. Baker said they are all on notice. They try to take her out, but she will be back at... All out. Baker wheeled herself away, revealing the back of her wheelchair, which read role model being R-O-L-L model. And I thought that was fucking hilarious, honestly. Um, it sucks that Brooke or Britt is injured again. And it's kind of funny that her gimmick now is, or just part of her character is how much she's been injured from the fucking broken bloody nose to the concussion to the torn ligaments now. It's just bad fucking luck. Karushita defeats Christy Janes. Um, I didn't watch this. I flipped back over to NXT. But I feel like just having the champion come off her show, um, off her first win to fight someone like Christy Janes, yeah, the women's division is thin, but I think this shows just how thin it is, you know. Cody came to the ring for a promo. Cody asked Shiv uh, Tony Schiavone if he knew why Tom Brady was his favorite quarterback. He said it's not because he's a New England guy. He's not welcome in Connecticut. He said it's because Brady was not the first pick. Fuck off. Jesus Christ. He's not the first pick, Cody. He started the fucking company. You know, Cody said that when Tony Khan started a wrestling company, Cody wasn't the third, second, or third call. He said he's not bitter about that, but if he was, that bitterness was absolved by winning the TNT title. That's such a stupid fucking, like, baby chicken shit fucking... God damn it, I hate Cody, man. Like, you know what? I'm the executive vice president of a wrestling company, and I'm also one of its champions. I probably make seven figures a year now just off everything that I do, and I get a book all my own promos and I'm in charge of creative and all this shit right but you know what I wasn't the first pick he's a son of goddamn Dusty Rhodes he had a great fucking run in WWE he's now one of the top talents in the other number two wrestling program in the world like this shit's just not believable and it shows that beneath it all Cody's a fucking heel and he just needs to be a heel anyway this is like reaching Cena levels of just like I can't fucking stand it it's just it's all bullshit Cody said Dustin got all the dusty jeans. He said he learned everything about grit from his mother, Michelle, a little Cuban lady. Cody said if you're someone who's critical of him bell to bell, then judge him by what comes next. He issued then an open challenge. There were some subtle heel lines, but it was a very good promo, says that was the review that I copy and paste this from. <laughs> um, 
During Cody's promo, the camera kept cutting to QT Marshall, Ali Brandy, and Dustin in the crowd. Um, if you don't watch Dark, they started a storyline this week where Allie is sexually after QT, which is weird because her husband is the Blade, but Brandy wants QT to focus on wrestling. Allie is no longer the bunny, I suppose. And this person then writes, Horny QT Marshall is not an angle I'm interested in. I have to agree. Jimmy Havoc and Kip Sabian defeat Scorpio Sky and Frankie Kazarian to get a AEW Tag Team Title Championship match next week. Jungle Boy then won the Battle Royale for the TNT Championship match next week. So we'll get Jungle Boy versus Cody Rhodes and Jimmy Havoc and Kip Sabian versus Kenny Omega and Adam Page. I'm very excited for the tag team match. I'm not as excited for the TNT match, mainly because it's Cody. But I love Jungle Boy. Maybe this will be good. Always remain optimistic. Then, finally, we have Sammy Guevara presenting participation trophies to his teammates. Santana had individual gifts for everyone, including a framed photo of Mark Anthony for Jericho. Jericho gave Guevara a scooter and Ortiz a pair of earmuffs that allowed him to hear again. Jake Hager, oh my god, because of the bell, that's right. Jake Hager wrote a poem for the team. He said that he can't wait, over, wait to run over the elite with his Tesla. Guevara asked Jericho what he really wanted. Jericho said that he wants Mike Tyson's head on a platter. He said he hasn't forgotten what he said he hasn't forgotten what Tyson did to him on January 11, 2010, on a Monday night. He said Tyson turned on him that night, and he's been dreaming about getting his hands on his fat head ever since. Guevara said he couldn't take Tyson's head, but he's got a cheese platter and some bubbly. Guevara then looked for the cheese and bubbly, but it was gone. And all of a sudden, Iron Mike Tyson's music hits. And just so we can all remember, Mike Tyson. Like, this is the company that's like, we got, we're so inclusive, we have a trans star, we have a queer star, we have POC wrestlers, and then they go ahead and they're like, let's put a convicted rapist into the main event. So, kudos AEW, you're really ahead of the fucking curve. Tyson's music hits, he enters with an entourage that includes Henry Ceuto and Vitor Belfort. The entourage ate the cheese and drank the bubbly. That's fucking crazy, honestly. The fact that they got these guys to come out here with Tyson. That's, uh, I mean, I don't know if it will be a needle mover because I still don't see UFC people turning in to wrestling that much. But it could potentially be. So we'll, we'll wait to see. Jericho said he was giving Tyson one chance to apologize or that he would knock him out. Tyson said Jericho deserved that 10 years ago. Jericho told him to apologize. Tyson tore his shirt off and shoved Jericho. The locker room emptied and they did a huge pull apart. The show ended with Jericho screaming Tyson's name as Jericho's being held in the ring and Tyson was held on the stage. Weird, I would say. Um, I'm not a fan of Tyson. I don't really care. It's going to be fucking weird if they do a Mike Tyson versus Chris Jericho match because, again, it's like Ronda Rousey versus Ruby Riot, Ronda Rousey versus anyone. Like, It's just not believable that Jericho could ever win. Right, so it has to be done a very certain way. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Henry Ceuto or Vitor Belfort, any of those guys, get involved in feud with the Inner Circle. Um, Proud, uh, Proud and Powerful attacked Orange Cassidy before the Battle Royale match, so they could be uh, feuding with best friends. Who the fuck knows? Anyway, this was a fine night of wrestling. I really enjoyed tonight. Now on to the main event, and since we already did a. Uh, Ric Flair, Barry Windham match. I didn't actually take notes for this one because I was finding that largely parts of the match were repeated. So I will say this, though. 
So the match was from January 20th, 1987, Ric Flair versus Barry Windham from the Jim Crockett Promotions Worldwide Wrestling. The match went to a 45-minute time limit draw. I will admit this was better than the first match. I would give this four and a quarter stars. I anticipated the time limit draw DQ or double count out this time. I knew that Flair wasn't going to lose. I know that Flair never loses in these matches. So it's uh, it's just about, I guess, getting invested in him. Flair looked even better in this match. I mean, it's the difference of a year, I believe, between the two matches. Wyndham looked like a star. Flair just looks like the fucking king. It, this time around, I think I appreciate it a lot more because it felt a lot more like a chapter and a greater story this time around. You know, Barry Wyndham had nearly beat him at the end, and I thought that was great. Um, something that I was kind of puzzled by is the ref calls, you know, five minutes left and then three minutes left. And Barry Windham, the son of a bitch, is applying side headlocks. Like, that's going to win the match against Ric Flair. Um, so, again, still, like, Windham does some great spots. I think he's a great foil for Ric Flair. But what really makes these matches is not Barry Windham. It's Ric Flair. Because I feel like just some of those things, you know, like, Windham constantly letting Flair get his legs on the rope in the last match. Wyndham trying to side headlock in the last three minutes. This isn't a guy that fucking thinks, is it, huh? You know? Anyway, the match ends. Wyndham gets the mic and says he will. He will eventually win this NWA World Championship. And then he leaves the ring, still the tag team champion at the very least, with Ric Flair laying face down as people begin to clear out of the arena. And I thought that was just the greatest image, was a face down fucking Ric Flair in the middle of the ring. And the match is ended. He's announced as the champion. And this guy can't even get up to, to, to accept the belt or celebrate or anything. So really a good match. I would say if you're a fan of Ric Flair and want to see more of his 80s work, of him in his prime, check this one out. This is top tier Ric Flair. Um, I'm excited to finish the last one of the trilogy. I'm not a massive Barry Windham fan, but it's been cool to see him work. And again, as always, I'm just happy to take these treks through old school wrestling because I feel like I learn a lot just about styles and everything like that and it's always nice to see what wrestling used to be so on that note suck your own I hope thank you for tuning in to the two people that do and uh, I hope your weeks are going well I know this is an incredibly tough time it's been very weird somehow you know we're in a pandemic and people are still being killed and there's still shootings and it's just like what the fuck something's got to give right and i don't think everything ever will and now i'm just good god how the fuck am i ending the show on this note you know what don't listen to me listen to yourself i hope there's light where you are i hope you're happy hang in there we're all in this fucking together things will turn around i love y'all thank you for listening good 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 good